jump for joy. Hi, I'm Sadie, and this is Jump for Joy. Each episode, inspiring professionals share their secrets to living a healthy, joyful life. In today's episode, I talk with Maris Degener of Yoga Maris. She's 19 years old now and became a yoga teacher at the age of 16. This inspiring girl tells us how she used yoga to help recover from anorexia. We also talk about expressing yourself through art for healing, how to really support people's body positivity on social media, how to practice self-love on a daily basis, and how impactful yoga is in our lives. Have you ever wondered how social media can help or hinder people's self-love? Listen and you'll find out. Welcome to the show, Maris. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Yay! Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and who you are? All right. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Maris Degener, and I am an 18-year-old yoga teacher who lives in the Bay Area of California, uh, except for during the school year. I'm a little bit further south in Santa Cruz for school, and I write about health and wellness and yoga and body image, and in particular, my recovery from anorexia and eating disorder using yoga and the lessons it has to offer. So why don't you explain to us a little bit about how you first got into yoga? Yeah, I first got into yoga almost four or five years ago now. I was about 14. Uh, it was the summer or the year after I had been diagnosed with an eating disorder. I was a freshman in high school and I had been hospitalized uh, because it had just gotten to a point where it was so severe that my family didn't know how to handle it and I needed medical treatment. And after I was released from the hospital, there was still a lot of healing that I had to do, both physically and mentally, and someone suggested yoga. And so it just so happened that a yoga studio was opening in Walnut Creek, where I live, and I went to go take their free introductory class and just happened to fall in love with it, with the practice, with the teachers, with that studio. And I started going back over and over again. They had like a 30-day unlimited package. So I went every single day for a month. And I knew that it was something that was going to change my life from the very first class because my teachers were talking about things that I didn't have discussed in my life anywhere else. They were talking about believing in yourself and challenging yourself and what it means to live a life that's completely well-rounded and empowered. And I just had a really deep respect for my teachers and how they were able to change people's lives every single day. And so when I was 15, I started their teacher training program, thanks to my amazing mentor and teacher, Jenny Wendell, who scholarshiped the program for me. And ever since then, I've been teaching and, and it's taken me places I never thought I'd be. And it's allowed me to connect with people that I would never have met otherwise. That's so incredibly inspiring. Oh, that's amazing. And oh. I was reading this article about you on CNN Oh my gosh. And you had this incredible quote. Do you mind if I read it? No, go ahead. Okay. So this is when you first got into yoga. You said, and then I found just be, and I slowly fell in love with my cells again. I fell in love with the way movement felt in my body, the contraction of musculature, the breath circulating through my veins. I suddenly wanted nothing more than to feel what feeling alive felt like to see if I could find that person I thought had died inside me long before I got to know her. That was just so amazing. It gives me the chills every time I read it. 
Do you want to explain a little bit about what you were thinking then and what's behind that quote? Well, it's been, first of all, that was like a huge hit of nostalgia for me because I haven't (laughs) read that article in a long time. Really? Um, So that really brought me back to where I was when I, when I wrote that quote, it was a piece they took from my blog and I had written that, that specific article the day that one of my teachers had completely said something that redirected my entire online blogging presence. Because before, when I first started blogging, I was writing things on a very surface level. You know, like I was only sharing stories where I already had the answers and and where I kind of came across as this like perfect little human being who just was going through life so effortlessly and had no more problems anymore. And my teacher basically said, you need to talk about the stuff that pe- that you don't want to talk about, the stuff that's hard and nitty and gritty. And so I sat down and kind of just penned out my entire story, which I had never shared with anyone before, uh, which was my entire process of going down the hill of an eating disorder and then trying to crawl my way back up out of it. And at the end of it, I kind of shared that quote about how Just Be, my yoga studio, was such a transformative place for me. And it allowed me to get into my body for the first time in a way that didn't feel so judgmental and harsh and cruel and to have an actual appreciation for what was going on in my life. And then also just within my physical body. So wow, it was a time of transformation for sure. Yeah. That's really fascinating. And it must've been difficult sharing all of the struggles of your life and your whole healing journey on the internet for the whole world to see. Was that difficult or did it just come naturally to you? You know, it was definitely tricky at first. Like I, I, I always preached uh, fearless authenticity because that was the theme of my teacher training was to be fearlessly authentic. And I remember going into it thinking, well, like everybody knows to be themselves, right? Like we all watched Arthur on PBS Kids, like <laughs> just be yourself and everyone will like you. And at some point in the training, I realized that I wasn't being honest with myself with who I was. And in fact, I didn't even know who I was because I'd spent so long starving and, and kind of shoving down this person that was struggling to be seen within me. So when I first started really writing about it online, I was writing about kind of this facade that I was putting out to the world, right? That I had everything all figured out and that I was, you know, problemless, which nobody is. And so it was really not beneficial for me, first of all, to try and live this facade. And then it wasn't beneficial for anyone else that was reading it. So once I realized that by being honest about what I was going through would help other people, that made it a whole lot easier to be like, I don't have the answers to this, or I'm still struggling with this, or I have no clue what's going on in my life right now. Because I get people responding like, I feel the exact same way. And you being honest about it is helping me deal with it. That's incredible. Yeah, it's so true that when you really share what's going on, you get so many people that have gone through the exact same things. And that's just so powerful. You're making everyone's life so much better by sharing what you've gone through as well. Well, I think when I think about the people that inspire me the most, it's the people who don't act like they have it all together. Because I don't think we connect to perfect people, right? Like you don't want to go and try to take advice from someone who seems to have a perfect life because how would they ever understand what it feels like to be you, you know? Yeah, that's so true. And I don't know, I feel like in today's world with social media and everything, yoga can sometimes become an exterior thing. It's all about how you look and how your poses look in pictures and stuff. So I'm wondering, how did you sort of bring it back inside into, you know, the breathing and how you felt and the whole meditation aspect of it? Is that hard for you with, 
you know, sharing pictures of yourself and I don't know, just in today's world. How do you feel about that? That is such a great question because someone brought that up with me recently about how they feel like the spirit of yoga is being really diluted by our very visual society. So like we go on Instagram and every single yoga teacher has like beautiful professional pictures of themselves and everybody looks perfect and they never share a picture where, you know, they're blinking or they're kind of bent over in an awkward way. And it, it adds this sense of vanity to a practice that is supposed to be devoid of it, you know? And I think I definitely am not someone who is going to pretend that I don't fall prey to that sometimes because like, obviously I want to put up some nice pictures of myself too. Of we course, all want to have a cool do. looking Instagram. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but I, it helps me to listen to my teachers and to not just listen to my teachers, but the, the voices they're carrying of their own teachers, because they talk about what the true spirit of yoga is. It's not the handstands. It's not the down dogs. It's not the chaturangas. It's about being present with yourself and what's going on in your life in this moment. And I think doing that and studying the philosophy of yoga has made me realize that these little things that we get hung up on, like what our Instagram feed looks like is not important in the grand scheme of things. What's important is listening to our heart and and listening to our breath and, and taking care of ourselves the best that we can. But I think it's a practice that we have to devote ourselves to every day. And I don't think it'll ever be effortless. Yeah, it can be hard when you see all these, you know, you want to look good. But then again, if so, like sometimes the poses that feel the best look so awkward and it's like you just have to take it back inside and go, this is this might not look pretty, but it's going to feel so good. And I know it's what my body needs. <laughs> That's so true. And and as a teacher, I try to get that across to my students the best that I can, because like I, I see them like looking around the room, trying to see other people or or when I teach in a studio and that has mirrors and they're kind of watching themselves in the mirror the whole time. Like I can tell the difference between you trying to figure out your form and you yeah. judging yourself. <laughs> and it pains me that students get so hung up in what their bodies look like or what their asanas look like. And they don't ever close their eyes and actually notice what's going on and what they're feeling. And that's such a beautiful metaphor for life too. Like we, we get so caught up in what our appearance is to the outside world. Like, do we look like we have it all together? Do we look successful? And so rarely do we go inside and ask, well, am I happy? Like, do I feel good? Or do I care more about other people thinking I do? Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And when you were first starting yoga at 14, did it, I'm wondering, did it help you kind of get back in tune with your body and listening to yourself? Absolutely. Because, I mean, if you think about eating disorders, they're really just, they're such a strong disease in the sense that they have you overcome every evolutionary trait that your body has. Like if the human body's goal is to stay alive, like it overrides the most basic needs of eating and drinking well, you know? And when you're devoid of nourishment like that, you really get disconnected with your body because you have to be able to overcome it screaming for help and for care. And and yoga really instilled in me this idea that how your body feels and how well it can move and operate is so much more important than the appearance of it. Yeah, that's so powerful. Were there any other changes that were really noticeable inside of you when you started practicing yoga? Well, I I always think back to this book that my teacher, my teacher Jenny gave me, which is called the Yamas and Niyamas. And it, it basically goes over the philosophical tenets of yoga and 
they're all about the way you treat others and the way you treat yourself. And the very first chapter in that book is Ahimsa, which is nonviolence. And I remember thinking, like, what is this book? Like, I know not to hit people. I, like, I think that's pretty <laughs> obvious. But it was really about how we can be violent in our words and actions in ways that don't have anything to do with touching another person. Mm. And I realized that the way I was treating my body and the way I was speaking to myself was so violent and, and so full of hate. And I, the shame that I felt about myself and how I looked and and the way I attached morality to how I ate and thought, you know, if I ate a certain way, I'd be a good person. And if I ate a different way, I was a bad and lazy person. I realized that that was not just hurting me, but it was affecting my entire family. And it was affecting the way they felt about themselves and how worried they were about me. And so that really shifted my perspective. And self-love isn't a selfish act. It's, a, it's something that translates into the way we treat other people and the way they feel about us. And so it really showed to me how self-care is, is something that has a really powerful ripple effect. And it's a little thing you can focus on that has a huge impact on the world around you. It couldn't be more true. When you love yourself, people can tell because you're radi radiating it. And then it automatically makes other people feel better about themselves, which I think is just so cool. And you did something on your Instagram page um, a little while ago. I think it was called One Look of Love. Is that right? Yeah. Uh -huh. That was so amazing. And I just remember reading your posts that month, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was the month of February. And when I read them, I automatically just felt so happy and I felt better about myself too. And that just goes to show, you know, when you radiate self-love other people, it really hits other people too. Why don't you explain a little bit about that one look of love? Because that was just, I was so inspired when I saw that every day. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. First of all, that that's exactly my intent. So I'm really glad that it, it spoke to you in that way. Yeah. But I kind of stole one look of love from one of my teachers, Jessica Micheletti, who was doing it at the same time. And the basic premise of one look of love was to write yourself a love note every single day for the month of February. Because, you know, February is a month of love. Usually we make Valentine's for everybody else, but it's about kind of making it about you. And every day yeah. you would pick a piece of your body that you felt shame or guilt around and choose to kind of rewire that little pathway in your brain and, and act like you loved it and wrote a little love note to it. And so I wrote about everything from my hair to my belly to the way my legs looked, you know, everything in between. And it was a really powerful exercise because you realize how much internalized shame we, and particularly I think women in our society, you just carry around every day. Like you hear it all yeah. the time. Like, oh, I wish I could wear that if my legs didn't look like this. Or, oh, I wish I had her arms or my arms looked like hers or whatever. And it becomes so insidious and we don't even notice it, how negatively we're speaking to ourselves and about ourselves. So it was really powerful to just draw awareness to that and try to flip it on its head and look at it a different way. That's truly incredible. And it's so... Um it's so true that especially the media, you know, we're by the media, we're taught to always want something else and by some media and it can be a marketing tactic too. Um, and it's so great to shift it on its head like that, like you were saying, because that way we're doing the opposite and we're showing that we're happy with what we have and we love ourselves and just putting that out there, even if you're not happy with a part of your body, it will it will project that love out there to yourself, even if you're not feeling it wholeheartedly. 
Like sometimes I'll smile and tell myself I'm happy if I'm really sad, not because it's not okay to be sad, but because if I want to get out of that place and it really does affect you. I feel like if you put something out there like that, it can really affect your whole body and your psyche. And I'm wondering what you think about the whole self-love thing on social media, because it's become a huge thing. Um, And I'm wondering if you think social media helps or hinders self-love. That's a great question and a loaded question as well. (laughs) I wrote a a paper about this for one of my classes last year. Really? Um, Well, somewhat. It touched on it, but but I have mixed feelings about it, as I think we all do with everything, especially with something that's as new as social media because we don't really know the long-term effects of it yet. Um, But I on its surface, I I want it to be a positive thing. You know, like I see really beautiful communities arising where people are encouraging one another to love their bodies or they're encouraging one another to seek out ways to bring more positive influences into their life. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think about the repetition of opening your phone every day and seeing these positive messages and reinforcing them. I can definitely see positive change being a result of that. Uh, The And I do like seeing more normalization of a variety of bodies as opposed to where we used to just see on billboards one particular body type. I think now we have access to a lot of different bodies and we're able to see them in a more diverse setting. You do still have to seek them out a little bit, though, but it's getting better. But the difficulty I see is I can somewhat see a reliance on the approval of other people for your self-love, which... I was writing recently about what I think self-love truly is, and I think it's choosing to love yourself in the absence of the compliments or approval of other people. So no matter what's going on around you, no matter who thinks you're beautiful or not, you're able to find that love for yourself. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the idea of reminding people that they're attractive. So if someone posts a picture where they're like, oh, like I'm choosing to accept this unflattering angle of me, we all want to rush in and be like, no, you're beautiful. Like, don't worry about it. And I think that can send the wrong message sometimes that we have to be aesthetically pleasing in order to be worthy of self-love. And I know that people don't mean it. And I know that they are going in with positive intentions, but I just think it's important to be mindful of the fact that there are different ways to uplift and empower people uh, without necessarily trying to send that message that you have to be an aesthetic representation of beauty in order to be worthy. Wow, that is spot on. I totally agree. And I'm wondering, not to put you on the spot or anything, (laughs) but what are some ways that we could support those people um, in their posts on social media without just praising their looks if they're trying to practice self-love? That's a, that's a, I wish I had all the answers to that question because this is something I've been mulling over for a while, but the, uh, what would, the best what thing would Maris I can, do? <laughs> what would Maris do? I think I really try to praise people for the effort they're putting in to love themselves. Like this is really beautiful that you are choosing to share this piece of you. And this is really beautiful that you're being so vulnerable in your journey. And I think just acknowledging people that it's worth it to be on this self-love path. Like it's so worth it that you're putting in the effort to love every piece of you. And it's not a fruitless effort. Like it gets easier. And I, I want people to be acknowledged for the vulnerability it takes to put that out there on such a public stage. And I want to remind them that they are so much more than a pretty Instagram picture or even an Instagram picture that is unflattering, but gets a lot of likes. <laughs> Cause yeah. like, I don't know. Like we see a lot of the times now, if you're actually looking into the body positivity community, 
uh, like side by sides of like, they call them like 30 second transformations where you're standing in a really flattering position and then you're standing in a not so flattering position. Uh, and, and that gets like so much attraction and buzz. And I think that it's awesome that we're showing that social media can be very deceptive. Um, but I also think that the self-love journey is very much inside and it can't be just contained to those pictures. Like you've got to work on it outside of just the visual part of loving yourself. I love that. Yeah. And so I guess social media really can help um, if you're trying to put yourself out there and sometimes it keeps you accountable. Like if you put something out there, an unflattering photo of yourself and you're still practicing self-love, that's great. But it can sometimes also be detrimental if you're still seeking approval. And who doesn't want approval, honestly? Right, we all put we photos all out there wanting likes and comments. and But it's it truly is difficult. And we have to also, like you say, focus on the inside so we're not just seeking approval of others for our photos. Yeah, I love what you brought up about accountability because it is, you know, a good reminder. Like I'm showing to the world that I'm on this path and it kind of holds you responsible to sticking to that path, knowing that you're inspiring other people or that people are drawing inspiration from that. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And I'm wondering, other than posting photos on social media, what are some ways that we can take little things every day to practice self-love and body positivity? Mm, that's a great a, a topic that I'm well equipped to answer for once. Because <laughs> I, I just did, um, I put together a little what I call a self love toolkit, which kind of offers people hands on ways to begin their self love journey. And you know, it was everything from how to notice negative thoughts and then how to rephrase them. Like if you find yourself in a yoga class thinking like, Oh, my thighs look terrible in this pose, you know, redirecting to, Oh, my legs are so strong being able to hold me here, you know, and it feels so silly and contrived at first, but the more you do it and the more you repeat it, the less those negative thoughts appear and the more often those positive ones creep in. So I think that's a really tangible tool that people can implement. Um, on that topic of kind of mantra and repetition, putting sticky notes everywhere. Like I have sticky notes on my laptop, on my walls that just have reminders wow. of worthiness. And it's easy to do that, to just like put them on your bathroom mirror, put them in your car. Because I really believe that when you rep repetitively see something, it does become a part of you and a part of the way you think. Because that's how we're trained socially, right? Like when we're infants, we don't really have an idea of what social constructs are. But when we're exposed to them over and over again through media or whatever, no matter how negative or positive they are, they definitely become a part of the way we think. So I think a really strong way to begin your self-love journey is to just replace what you're seeing repetitively with something that's more positive. Yes. Oh, that's such a great, such a great piece of advice for us to do, because that way it's like you say, it's easy, but also we're constantly flooding ourselves with good messages. And I feel like doing that for other people as well would make you feel good as a form of self-love to yeah. just, I think I've been thinking about this a lot, how if we say kind things, self-love comes first, I think, but if we also put out kind things to other people constantly, it makes them happy. It's just a ripple effect and it will just make you feel better in the long run too. So could we do those notes for other people as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you brought up compliments because like I have a rule in my life that if I think 
of a compliment, I have to say it out loud to that person because it oh, takes like 10 seconds to be like, Oh, I like your shoes as opposed to just thinking of it. And it makes their day. Like yeah. I can think of instances where some stranger on a bus has told me they like my outfit and I spent the rest of the day like flaunting it. Cause I felt so great about yeah, myself. Exactly. You know, it's so effortless and it feels so good. So true. And for you, um, when you first started yoga and now, was that, would you consider that a form of self-love? Would I consider yoga a form of self-love? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because yoga is so diverse, it, it's always what you need, you know, because yoga can be everything from a 75 minute hot and sweaty power flow, which can be self-love when you need that. Um, and it can be on the other end of the spectrum, laying in your bed with your eyes closed and breathing. You know, so it's always something that is accessible to you, no matter who you are, or where you are. And I think that it's always a way of just going, you know what, this time is just for me. This time is just to take care of my body and my mind. And this time is just a way for me to reconnect with what's important. And I think that's definitely self-love. Yeah. And just even if it's not yoga, finding the kind of movement that calls to you and really just acknowledging that and going with it is can be so amazing for your for yourself and just to trust yourself and go with your gut instinct. I think that's also a huge form of self-love. Did you find um, going with your intuition and listening to your gut part of your healing journey? Did that play a role ever? Yeah, because like, as I mentioned earlier, a big part of having an eating disorder is overriding your natural signals. And for a while you lose them. Like I remember after getting out of the hospital where you're on a very rigid eating schedule, like you, you, you know, breakfast at this time and then a snack two hours later and then lunch two hours later and you're just on that schedule, you lose your hunger signal. Like you don't feel hungry. You don't know when you're hungry and you certainly don't know what you're craving or what your body needs. Like it's all out the window because you spent so long suppressing it. So it took a really long time for me to be able to tap into what my body really needs. And now I've gotten better with it for five years down my recovery line you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I might need to eat a little bit more of this today or, oh, I'm extra hungry today, so I should get an extra snack because that's what my body needs. It's fuel. It's energy. Uh, it was hard getting back to that, but now I see it as, as you said, as a form of self-love. It's a way of respecting your body and respecting what it's asking for. Yeah, that's really true. What did you begin to do when you were on your road to recovery and did you just ditch the schedule or did you slowly start listening to your intuition? You know, a big part of it was messing up a lot because the way my recovery worked out uh, was it was very family based because I was a minor at the time, you know, I was in the custody of my parents. So they were given doctor's orders to feed me at this time and feed me exactly this amount X, Y, Z. And then the way that worked through the theory of the recovery program was they would over time give me back a little bit of responsibility as I like proved that I wouldn't, you know, like throw my snack in the bushes or something. Um, and, and at first I definitely abused the new privileges that I was getting. Like when I was home alone, sometimes I would like dump my glass of almond milk down the sink, you know? And, and that was mm -hmm. me searching for recovery. I was searching for control and recovery because eating disorders are largely about control and recovery is about losing that control and learning what it's like to not have total control. So at first I messed up a lot and I overrided signals and I probably set back my recovery here and there. But I, I truly believe that that failure, if we want to call it that, is a necessary part of the process because it did make me aware 
of what was going on. Because I went from being nourished, you know, in my recovery program, I was getting the exact amount of food that I needed at the time, to now all of a sudden noticing what it actually felt like to not have what I needed. And it was the first time that I really had side by side, this is what it feels like to be nourished. And this is what it feels like to deprive my body. And one definitely feels better than the other. And so by slipping up like that over and over again and playing with eating more of this or eating at this time or whatever, I was able to over time get to know my body in a completely different way and, and understand and respect what it needed. So as far as tangibly, how do you go about navigating that process of intuition and reconnecting to it? I don't know if there's one set way. I don't know if there's one set path for people to take. I think it's very largely trusting yourself and trusting the process and not seeing failure as the end of the line, seeing it as a step that you have to go through along the way and learning from everything. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm curious, how did you feel once you started letting go and listening to your gut and loving yourself? How did that feel? You know, that was a gradual process. It wasn't like one day I woke up and I was like, wow, I feel like a movie star, (laughs) you know, it it was definitely gradual, but looking back, the difference is really astonishing. And it's astonishing to me in so many different ways, you know, like even in the tiny things, like realizing how much better I sleep or noticing how my joints don't ache anymore. Or I remember at some point when I was really in the thick of my eating disorder, I couldn't walk up driveways, like not even steep driveways, but like walking up a driveway was just the most exhausting effort. And, and now looking back and comparing and contrasting, it's like, I feel so proud and, and I want to be able to say that. And I want people who are in recovery to feel proud of themselves that these differences that other people might not notice are so incredible and so valuable. And I think I also realized and learned along the way that when you deprive your body of nourishment, your brain shrinks, like parts of your brain shrink and they actually make you a different person. And to now see who I am and what I feel like is now a greater capacity, like I have a greater capacity to communicate and connect and I have a greater capacity to imagine and to believe, like that's something that's really beautiful. And that's something that I don't think people talk about in recovery very much. I think we focus largely on, well, this person's too skinny and so they need to, you know, eat more and then they'll be bigger and that's great. But there's so much more to it and there's so much more to look forward to. Yeah. Wow. I I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, you totally (laughs) did. You (laughs) you more than answered it. That was perfect. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that a lot too, how food is one of the hugest forms of nourishment. And how when we make ourselves food, I actually just wrote a blog post on this, how when we um, nourish ourselves with wholesome food and we're making that for ourselves, we really get in touch with it and it creates such a better relationship with food. And then not only are we scientifically and physically nourishing ourselves, but mentally too, because we're letting ourselves know that we're worth it and that we're worth making ourselves healthy food and that we deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to yoga for a second. I want to know, okay, so you came, you became a certified yoga teacher at 16. What was that yeah. like? How did you balance that with high school and now with college? Um, that's a good question. Sometimes I ask myself that too. <laughs> um, but I, so I did finish my teacher training at 16. I started when I was 15 and it continued until I was 16. And then 
by the time I finished my TT, I was in the middle of my junior year of high school, I think. I want to say middle of my junior year. And that, like, at least in my area, is supposed to be the hardest year of high school because you're taking, like, your hardest classes to impress the colleges you're applying to. So my schedule was packed. And at the time, I was working at the studio as, like, the front desk girl who would check you in and clean the mats and, and all that sort of stuff. So I was working on the weekends, going to school, you know, throughout the week, and then teaching probably three or four classes throughout the week. And that, at first, was not balanced oh gosh, well yeah. at all. I was, like, running around and, and tearing my hair out, trying to get everything done on time. And and during that time, I definitely think that I suffered a little bit of a relapse in my recovery because it felt like my world was out of control again. And so I looked for a way to control, and that was by hyperanalyzing what I was eating. And I was kind of afraid to admit it, and it looked different than my eating disorder had before. And that's something that nobody had talked to me about, that eating disorders kind of transform in the way that they appear in your life. So I thought, well, you know, this isn't what restriction used to look like for me, so I must not, you know, need help. I must be okay. And eventually, over time, that balance came back. And I bounced back a lot quicker and easier than I did from my first really full-on struggle with an eating disorder. But it's something that I wish people talked about more and, and helped me look out for more. But over time, it, it naturally balanced back out and I was able to rebalance my teaching schedule and I was able to focus more on getting good sleep and less on I have to be exercising all the time and eating XYZ all the time and, and letting everything move more naturally. And when I released that control a little bit, everything started to fall into place and I I started focusing more on the things that made me truly happy and, and following those things that made me truly happy and, and brought back in that ahimsa, that nonviolence to myself that I had lost a little bit along the way. Wow. Yeah. I just think it's so cool that you're sharing your story with everyone so that people can be inspired and learn new things. And it's just so great. And another way that you're spreading your message is by your new documentary, which just came out. I haven't seen it yet because I don't think it's out in theaters yet, is it? No. So we had a first cut screening back in June. Um, and that was before we, you know, put it out to any distributors or anything. And we just wanted to show it to, we showed it at the Just Be Yoga community, which was really special because I got to share my whole story with my students and my teachers and my friends. Um, and after that, we started looking at distributors. And so we were, we just signed on an executive producer and a production company, which is like huge for it to happen so oh fast gosh. in the filmmaking world. Like I'm so, I mean, kudos to just the released. lady who made the filmmaker, or the, the wow. filmmaker, because she did an incredible job. I was just present. Like I just let her film me, but she put it all together. That's and so, incredible. Oh, I can't wait to see it. And why don't you yeah. tell everyone here about the documentary, how it came to be and what it's all about? Yeah, so the the title of the film is I Am Maris, which kind of gives the idea that it's all about me. But <laughs> it's, it's really about something far greater than myself. It uses my story of recovering from an eating disorder and finding peace and love in yoga. Uh, and it, it tells the story of so many other people because we really wanted to show what it was like to have an eating disorder, but also what it's like to live a life in recovery from one. Because in watching other documentaries about eating disorders, we found them to be so negative and and so hard to swallow and I think they have their place and they're important you know we need to see the films where it shows that people do die from this disease and people do have their lives completely decimated by this disease when they don't get the proper help or they're it's not caught early enough but we really wanted to put something out into the world that also gave people hope 
like it didn't just scare them. It also instilled hope in them that recovery was not only worth it, but also possible. So the, the film follows my life and it, it kind of shows an honest representation of recovery and, and hopefully gives people a little bit of hope of what's possible on the other side. Oh, I can't wait to see it. It sounds like the best movie ever. <laughs> and I watched the trailer for it on your website and I saw you painting what looked like self-portraits. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm not sure if that's what it was, but. <laughs> well, they're, they're not. I never thought of them as self-portraits, but I guess you could put it that way. Portraits of I, a girl. <laughs> of a girl. I, for some reason, when I was, you know, going through my eating disorder, I've always loved art, but I, I really started painting them, and I was painting these pictures of women, and and they were always women that had very sad eyes, and, and that was something that people always noticed were the eyes. The eyes were very sad, and at back then, I felt like I was painting all the emotions that I didn't understand in my life and I didn't understand what's going on in my body and and in my heart and and it was kind of my only way that I was able to communicate because in at the time you know when I was about 14 I went to go see a therapist for the first time and I didn't understand really how to utilize that resource and I kind of just and I also just didn't know how to talk about my feelings you know I kind of just sat there in silence so for me painting was a way to get out those emotions and to get them on paper and and kind of off my shoulders in a way to release some of that weight that I was carrying. So the film definitely uses my art to kind of carry the story. And we actually had a, a really talented animator animate some of my drawings and, and use them as little pieces to help tell the story throughout the film. So wow. I'm, I'm really happy that my art got to be a part of the project in that way. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I find when people are going through rough things, how they all express it. Some do it through music, through art, through writing. And I'm, I'm curious if that's when you started your blog, because your writing is so powerful and eloquent. And I'm wondering where you got that. Have you always been into writing or did it sort of come out of your struggles and your healing journey? Well, I, I've always loved writing. You know, when I was a kid, books were my best friend. Like when I was little, little, my parents would have to take my books away sometimes and be like, can you go outside? <laughs> can you go like make friends and do some stuff? Um, but I, I didn't have always had an admiration for the written word and I didn't write a ton going through the thick of my eating disorder. I definitely journaled a little bit, but but in a way, it was kind of too painful to confront my feelings then because it was so raw. And I remember oh, yeah. my therapist asking me to write some stuff and like having no idea how to really articulate what I was feeling. So it definitely became a resource for me. But I didn't start writing my blog until after I finished teacher training. And originally, my blog was entirely different. It was a place where I wanted my students who took my classes to be able to like read more about the things I was touching on in class, like self-love or Back then I did a lot more like asana, the poses, like breakdown. Um, and then once my teacher, as I shared in the beginning of the podcast, you know, told me to talk about the stuff I didn't want to talk about, that's when my writing kind of evolved into what it is today, which I think feels more true to myself. I feel like I've definitely evolved more into who I want to be and, and how I want my words to touch people. Yeah. And reading it, you can totally tell that it's fearlessly authentic <laughs> and that really shines through and that makes it so much more grabbing the fact that it's all coming from your heart and you're not trying to please anyone or make some point you're just sharing directly from your heart I think that's really powerful thank you 
And another thing I want you to talk to us about is your inversions guide because you sent it to me recently and I read it and I tried um, some inversions from it and it was amazing. The amount, <laughs> the wealth of knowledge that you know is so incredible and I'm really trying to work on my handstands and my headstands and all of that and it's really hard and your inversion <laughs> guide helped me a lot. So explain to us what it is and how you wrote it. Thank you. Uh, th- thank you for using it and trying it out. I sent yeah. it to you because I know you're you're kind of a yogi yourself, so I wanted you to, to try it out. But the guide is basically um, your one-stop shop for beginning your inversions journey um, because I, I got so many questions as I was – you know, evolving my handstands practice and my other inversions and people being like, how do you, what do you, how do you do this? <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to compile it all in one place where people could from beginning to end understand what it's like to try on inversions and arm balances. And that's everything from the breath to the mental game to specific strengthening and flexibility exercises. Uh, so the, the guy has everything from journal prompts to breakdowns of how the pose works just in a physics way of, you know, where your body has to go proportionally to maintain balance. Uh, But I really wanted to put the guide out there to empower people to take on a process that's hard. Uh, Because so often I would have students in class be like, oh, well, that was too hard. So I just didn't do it. And I want to be like, no, that's not the point. The (laughs) point is doing hard things. And I want people to believe that they can do hard things. So the whole point of the guide is to empower you to feel like you have enough information to successfully take on a challenge that can prove yourself so much more than I'm strong enough to do a handstand. You know, it proves dedication. It proves bravery to go upside down, which humans probably aren't supposed to do. And, you know, just tenacity that you're willing to stick with something and fall down time and time again, and then get back up and do it one more time. Yes. I love that. And I totally agree that inversions, they are a struggle, but once you get them, you feel so proud of yourself. Like I know I've been working on headstands for a while. I'm not quite there with handstands, but with headstands, I can do them now, partially thanks to your guide, which is so epic. And it feels so good once you get there because you're upside down. You feel like you're flying. You're defying gravity. And you you know how much work it took to get there. Yeah. (laughs) And you just feel so proud. Yeah, exactly. Very gratifying. I'm curious, what does yoga bring you in your life? as a whole, I know it brings a lot of things, but what would you say? Wow. I think the better thing is like, what has yoga not brought into my life? Like, I feel like my entire life yes, now do is, that. <laughs> my entire life now is kind of based around yoga. Like my, I don't want to say my job cause it feels like more than just a job, but you know, like my life right now is around teaching people yoga and sharing yoga and writing about yoga. And to me, yoga is about, you know, so much more than what we do on our mat. So if I'm writing about I study social justice and psychology. If I'm writing about social justice, you know, to me, there's yoga in that, you know, if yoga is nonviolence and if it's about not stealing from others and if it's about connecting with others, you know, I think yoga definitely transcends everything that I'm passionate about. And, you know, yoga has offered me confidence and ways to communicate with people. And so kind of the only things yoga hasn't given me is, I don't know, probably the house I live in because my parents pay for that right now. (laughs) I'm still a teenager. I'm still writing that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yoga giving you everything but the house. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) Sounds like it's given you a lot and it does for so many people. And I think that's so powerful. And I feel like it's such a breakthrough when one realizes that yoga isn't just a series of poses. It's really a whole 
not only a meditation, but it's so much more. It's a way of going about things, like you said, nonviolence and nonviolence to yourself, like you were saying in the beginning too, being gentle and kind to yourself. And that's just so vital for a happy life. Before we wrap up the show, I have some little rapid fire questions for you. Um, (laughs) All right. So first up, what's your favorite yoga pose? Mm, Right now, handstands, definitely. Oh, yes. The best, the best. What's your favorite dessert? Ooh, um, Press Juicery has this like frozen ice cream type thing right now with like dates and chocolate and, and all sorts of good stuff. And I'm in love with that right now. Oh my gosh, me too. And they're $1 right now. So I totally went and got mine too. My yeah, dollar went. Me too. <laughs> it's the best. I, I, you know, I'm a dessert chef, so I felt like I had to ask that question. You gave the best answer ever. Yay. <laughs> What's your favorite place to practice yoga? Just be yoga. You know, that's where, that's my home now. What makes you jump for joy? What makes me jump for joy? Um, there's so many that I'm like struggling. Okay. Here's one recently is when you conquer something you didn't think you could do. So I was in Yosemite a few weeks ago and we climbed this huge mountain and got to the top of a waterfall. And like, I felt like jumping for joy. I would have, if I hadn't been afraid of falling over the edge. (laughs) Um, but Conquering stuff like that, I think, makes me really happy. And it's true that sometimes it's better to metaphorically jump for joy (laughs) if it's a dangerous situation. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Maris. And before you go, why don't you give everyone your blog and your social media so that they can keep up with all the amazing stuff you're putting out there and get to know when your documentary is out for us to watch? Because I just know that's going to be insanely great. Well, Thank you. Let's see. Where is the best place to find me? If you go to Instagram and you just find Yoga Maris, Y-O-G-A-M-A-R-I-S, that's kind of the the branching point where you can find everything else. Uh, but my blog is yogamaris.net, not .com, it's .net. And then um, that's probably the best places to find what I've got going on because on my blog you can find what I write about. You can find all the updates to the documentary. There's a newsletter you can sign up for, which will send you the automatic updates of the documentary. And, and there's also the inversions and our balances guide that we, that we chat about today. So I would love to have you come connect with me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maris, for being on the show. This was an awesome episode and it was so great to have you. Aww, thank you so much for having me on. I, I can't wait to listen to the other episodes of your podcast. I think it's going to be brilliant. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jump for Joy. Make sure to subscribe and write a review. For healthy recipes and joyful living tips, check out my blog, goodiesagainstthegrain.com and follow me on Instagram at goodiesagainstthegrain. See you next time.